Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of February 24th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. Well, it is good to see you guys this morning. Hope you have had a good weekend. I want to invite you to join me in turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. You ever had one of those discussions with somebody, maybe a, not even an argument, just a discussion, and you realize that you've repeated yourself about five times and they're just not following you? And you just kind of had enough of it? You ever had one of those conversations where you just said, yeah, I'm done. Maybe you've had that before. I, uh, it's, it's been several years ago, multiple churches ago, we were, uh, uh, we, we, we were putting up some screens in the church. They, they never had screens before, so we were putting up a screen in the church, and we had a temporary one up there. And uh, we were discussing that at some point, and uh, a member of the church made the comment that as long as that screen was up there, she couldn't worship, and the Spirit wasn't in the building. It was such a, it was such a bold statement that I just kind of found myself somewhat, uh, one, I couldn't believe she said she couldn't worship as long as there was a screen in the building. I just didn't know quite how to respond to that with anything other than sarcasm. So I, I just found myself speechless. And you, and you just kind of go, finally someone else interjected and handled it much more graciously than I would have. Sometimes you just get to that point, you just don't know what to say, and there's nothing else to be said. Quite frankly, our Lord comes to that point today. As we have a, uh, he has a conversation with the Pharisees once again, and he finds himself, he just gets to the point where he just sighs and says, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> and he just moves off. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. Mark chapter 8, we're going to begin reading in verse 11. Actually, verse 10. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he embarked again and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the, loaf, the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, twelve. When I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage this morning, I pray that we would, in fact, come to an understanding of what Jesus was trying to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week we saw earlier, the, the passage just before this, that Jesus had fed that 4,000. We saw that was in a uh, more of a Gentile area than the feeding of the 5,000 he had done some months before. So he's, he's done the feeding of the, the 4,000. He's crossed back over onto the western side of the Sea of Galilee to a more Jewish area. And there he is met 
by some Pharisees. And these Pharisees have a discussion. They have some questions for him. They have some things they want him to do. And in the context of all this, uh, this quick discussion with the Pharisees, there is a longer interaction with the disciples. And in all these discussions with the Pharisees and with the disciples, you see a little bit of Jesus going, don't you guys get what I'm trying to say here? I mean, at this point, Jesus has been around them for two plus years. And they still don't get it. Sometimes, uh, even in our world today, and maybe even this morning, we sometimes think to ourselves, if I only had a little more proof, just a little more evidence, just a little more reason to believe, if I could see just one more sign, God, that you're really there, if I could just see something else, Lord, I need some more evidence. Well, that's what these Pharisees are asking Jesus for this morning. Now, as we have gone through these first eight chapters of, of the Gospel of Mark, we have seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things, haven't we? We've seen Him feed the 4,000. We've seen Him see, feed the 5,000. We've seen Him raise a little girl from the dead. We have seen Him heal the lame. We have seen Him heal the blind. We have seen Him cast out demons. We've seen Him walk on water. And we have seen Him, with just a few words, calm a storm. The disciples have seen all these things happen. The Pharisees and the people of the, of the land have seen quite a few of these things of as well, over the period of the last couple of years at this point in time. There's been all kinds of demonstrations of Jesus' power. He's taught them and he's moved the crowds to respond. But you may remember uh, back in Mark chapter 2 and 3, there were some Pharisees that came up to Jesus and they said, well, we recognize that you're doing all these incredible things, but we think that you're doing this. We think your power comes from Satan. We think you're a satanic, demonic power and not God's power. And so what happens is this. They come to Mark chapter 8, and what they're asking for is not necessarily just another miracle. What they're asking for is proof that Jesus is from God and not from Satan. Now, we saw Jesus kind of hit that argument back in Mark chapter 3, and we saw how silly their logic was. and he's kinda, He should have really put that issue to rest. But they're still bringing it up. So we get to this point. And he, he just, they, they say, we want a sign. Give us proof that you are working under God's power. And verse 12, and, and, and by the way, verse 11, that idea to test him, they aren't really interested in proof, by the way. What they're really looking for is for him to give them another reason to doubt him. What they're looking for is for him to say or to do something that gives them ammunition, if you will, to accuse him of being demonic. So they're really not interested in proof. They're not coming to Jesus with an open mind. They're looking for a reason to, yeah, one more time. And Jesus just looks at them and says, how long will you guys keep asking this same question? And then he says, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. At that point, the conversation is over. <laughs> and he walks away. You know, by the way, we are never guaranteed endless chances to come to Christ. We're not, we're not guaranteed unending times. There's a time here that Jesus just finally says, you know what? Your heart is hard. You don't believe. 
I'm turning and walking the other way. Even if you remember a couple chapters ago, several chapters ago, when Jesus has sent his disciples on their first mission trip, he sent them out two by two. And he said, you guys go into all the villages and all the little hamlets and all the little towns of, of Galilee, and you tell them, you preach the gospel to them. You share with them who I am and what I'm here to do. He says, and if they reject you, what has he said? He said, you shake the dust off your sandals and you walk on to the next town. We aren't guaranteed a thousand chances. Paul says in the New Testament, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of decision. When God shows up, you best respond. So he walks away. And this encounter is a pretty short encounter. He just moves on. But the real crux of this passage is in the, is, is in the verses that follow. The, the disciples are expecting a longer stay. They, you know, they, they've come across the sea. They get there. The Pharisees welcome them. They're probably assuming they're going to be there for a little bit. Jesus has this quick encounter and says, yeah, I'm done. And he turns around and they get back in the boat. Now, part of what this means is the disciples haven't had a chance to restock supplies. <laughs> so they get back in the boat. And verse 14, we realize they don't have any bread. They didn't have more than one loaf of the boat amongst the 12, 13 of them that were there. And Jesus, seeing that they're talking about bread, decides to take this idea of bread and become uh, use, use it as a teachable moment. He's not really going to talk to them about how much bread they have, but he sees bread and goes, oh, bread has leaven, has yeast. I'm going to use bread as an illustration. And so Jesus says to them, as they're talking about bread in the boat, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact they had no bread. Now, I want you to get this. They've got one loaf of bread. They get back in the boat. They're not really ready to get back in the boat. They get back in the boat. Oh, we don't have any bread. Oh, what are we going to do? Jesus goes, speaking of bread, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herod. And they go, but we don't have enough bread. And Jesus is going, what? Do you? Look at Jesus' response here. Do you not, he says, do you not understand why are you discussing the fact you don't have any bread? Have you not seen? Do you not understand? Have you not, do you have a hardened heart? He asked them five questions here. Do you not yet, he said, do you not yet see? Do you not yet understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Do you not remember? Look at all these things. Jesus is saying, guys, come on. You're worried about whether or not... You're missing the point of this lesson. He goes, you're worried about whether or not you have enough bread. What just happened a day ago? Did you not... Were you not there when we fed 4,000? And how many baskets were left over? Seven big man-sized baskets of food were left over, right? Do you not remember the feeding of the 5,000? How many baskets were there left? Why are you worried about how much food's in the boat? Now... Again, that wasn't the initial part of this discussion. Jesus actually has a warning. He's saying, listen, you beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, but they're going, well, we don't have enough bread. And Jesus is saying, stop thinking about how much bread. That's not the point of this. Weren't you there? Haven't you seen me do all these things? What was it they were missing? Jesus says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What is he talking about? Now, 
we would understand that often throughout scriptures, the Old and New Testament, leaven, that's yeast, by the way, is what makes bread get big and fluffy. He, he's, we, we understand that that's often a symbol in the Old Testament of, of sin and how sin corrupts. You remember a Passover when the people of Israel were leaving Egypt. They weren't allowed to take bread that had been leavened or had yeast in it. They had to take unleavened bread. That's why we'd have those little flat cracker things when we do the Lord's Supper. Part of that is that leaven was a symbol of, of sin and corruption. They needed to be pure as they moved forward. And so he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What is this leaven? What is this thing that he says is so dangerous that if we're not careful, it will spread to every area of our lives? What is this going on here? What's he talking about? I want to talk, first of all, about perhaps what the leaven of Herod is. Now, these are two different groups. He says, he's talking about the Pharisees and he's talking about Herod. Now, you remember Herod is the king of that northern Galilee area. Uh, this is not the same King Herod that was there when Jesus was born. This is a different one. This is one of his sons named Herod Antipas. And, and Herod is the one, the Herod he's talking about, is the one that had John the Baptist beheaded not too long before this. And the Bible says that that King Herod that was there in Jesus' day was someone who was actually kind of interested in Jesus and kind of intrigued by John the Baptist. In fact, the Bible says he kind of liked John the Baptist. He, he was, even though John the Baptist had kind of preached against the actions of Herod, Herod was kind of curious. He was kind of interested. He was kind of amused by him while being annoyed at the same time. So there was this kind of this curiosity. There was this kind of idea that Herod was kind of sort of interested, sort of, sort of there, sort of not there, not really sure what to make of him, kind of angry, kind of curious all at the same time. Kind of conflicted, if you will. And Jesus says, beware of this guy. Beware of the leaven of Herod. You may remember that in not too much farther from this point in time, uh, Jesus will actually show up before Herod on trial. And if you remember that story, you remember the account, what happens is Jesus shows up and Herod goes, oh, cool, a show, do a miracle. And of course, Jesus just stands before him and doesn't do anything. And Herod says, come on, do something for me. For Herod, John the Baptist, Jesus, Herod was just playing around. For him, Jesus was a curiosity. Something to talk about, something to be amused by, something to, to think about a little bit, but it's not something to take too seriously because you don't want to really be too close to that. For Herod, Jesus was something to be experimented with, maybe even thought about, talked about, but in the end, that's really about it. Not someone to be trusted, not someone to be followed, not someone to be obeyed, Someone you kind of put over here and go, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, it's okay, but it's kind of annoying. <laughs> it's, it's okay as far as it goes, but I don't really want to put my life there. The leaven of Herod is treating Christ as a plaything. Something to keep it at a, at a distance. Something that's way down the list of things that are very important. Bring it out, take a look at it, think about it, talk about it, put it back. Maybe it makes you feel better. As long as that makes you feel better or makes you feel entertained or strokes your ego, you keep it around. But the moment it gets, you, the moment it gets hard, the moment it gets convicting, you, you put it aside. That's the leaven of Herod. You know, when we, we, we can look at that and be, be, be very easily 
and correctly condemning of Herod's approach. But the truth is, sometimes we do the same thing today. Sometimes even as believers, as those who have pledged their faith and lives to follow Christ, sometimes our approach is, we'll, we'll bring Christ close and we'll talk to Him and we'll talk about Him, we'll, we'll think about Him, we'll even read the Bible a little bit, we'll learn more about Him. But when He gets hard, when He gets difficult, when He gets convicting, we put Him aside and, and move away because we don't really want that. We want a God who makes us smile and makes us happy and amuses us and makes us feel good about ourselves. That's what Herod was interested in. And the moment John the Baptist criticizes Herod's marriage, or the moment God says to us, there is something in your life that needs to be dealt with, we go, yeah, not so much. And we step, we we put him aside. That's the leaven, that's the evil, that's the danger of Herod. He says, beware of the leaven of Herod. Beware of the leaven also of the Pharisees. Now, what is the leaven of the Pharisees? There's a couple things I want us to look at this morning. First of all is this. It is the leaven or the danger of false teaching. Jesus is telling the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And here's where that is. Beware of false teaching. Beware of taking things that God has said and distorting them or making them mean something other than what God has intended, or beware of putting your own ideas ahead of that of God. See, beware of that. Now, just like that yeast will infect the entire bread, the loaf of bread, it will affect everything. So a little bit of false teaching can infect and endanger everything else around it. The false teaching, here's one thing that does it, it doesn't do. It doesn't stay in its place. So if I, if I entertain false teaching in one area of my life, it will infect everything else. Now, we've talked about this from time to time. There's more than one uh, uh, individual out there who will say something along these lines. But if I, if I decide to approach God with this idea of what some folks call a prosperity gospel, and that is this. If, if I just trust God enough, if God loves me, and if I just trust God enough, He's going to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise, Right? God's going to make you rich. And if you're not rich, it's because you don't have enough faith. God wants nothing but the best for you. Well, I'll I'll buy that. But if you just have enough faith, if you just believe enough, if you just be positive, God will make you wealthy. He'll give you all that you want, your heart's desires. I'm telling you what, that's not what the Bible says. But that's what we want to hear sometimes. And so if I come to God on those terms, it will impact and destroy everything else around it. It will destroy my life. Because one day I'll find out when I shouldn't come face to face with God, that's not quite what He said. <laughs> it's not quite what He intended. False teaching saturates everything. It will infect everything else around us. It will also, false teaching will give us wrong ideas about who we are and about who God is. It will deceive us. The, the Pharisees, for example, had taken God's Word. And by the way, the Pharisees knew what we call the Old Testament. They knew it better than probably most of us do. They knew Scripture, chapter, and verse. They could recite a good chunk, if not all, of what we call the Old Testament. They could recite it. No doubt, they could, the, the part of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, they, I guarantee you they could recite that. Word for word in Hebrew. Much harder to do than it is in English, by the way. They could recite it. They knew what the Word said. 
They could tell you, well, God said this, boom, and they could give you the passage. But what they had also done is taken God's Word and they combined it with their own ideas and their own traditions and their own stuff. And the result was they had taken God's Word and taken it in a direction that God had not intended. And they had given the people of Israel, by Jesus' day, they had given the people of Israel a false idea of God's plan and God's Messiah. And it was so pervasive, this false idea was, that even the disciples, even these 12 men who found themselves hanging out with Jesus on a daily basis, two years into Jesus' stay on this earth, two years of seeing all these miracles, two years of seeing these incredible things, two years of hearing Jesus say something like, I am, while he's walking on water. Two years of these types of things, and the disciples still haven't figured out that Jesus is God. They still don't know this. They haven't figured that out. Now, how pervasive is false teaching in your heart if you spent two years with Jesus and still don't know who He is? That's the power of false teaching. And Jesus is saying to them, be wary, be careful of the leaven of false teaching from the Pharisees. False teaching doesn't just sit there, it infects everything. In fact, what it really leads us to is a third thing, not just this idea of playing around with with Jesus, not just this idea of false teaching. The leaven ultimately leads to unbelief. The leaven of the Pharisees ultimately is a leaven, the corruption of unbelief. I wonder, I was talking this, I was thinking this week, even for those of us who have been Christians and We call ourselves believers in Christ. I wonder if sometimes we talk ourselves and even teach ourselves to not believe God. Here's what I mean by that. I'm going to try to explain that. I hope it's not too confusing. Maybe we do it like this. Not intentionally, but something along these lines. Well, yeah, God says, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we are supposed to... uh, Pray for our enemies and forgive those who persecute us. That we are to be meek, for they are the ones who inherit the world. But you know what? Where I work, the office I work in, that stuff just really doesn't fly. It doesn't work in the real world. I've heard that, by the way. And the truth is, I bet you we've thought it. Well, this whole idea of forgiving our enemies or praying for them or being meek or being humble, that doesn't work in, the, that doesn't work in our world today. You know what that is? That's unbelief. That's taking the words of Christ and saying, you know what? Yeah, not today. That doesn't work today. That's unbelief. It's fine for Sunday. It's fine for Sunday morning, Sunday night. It might, it might be okay for Wednesday night. It might be okay for the church, but it's not, it's not okay out here in the real world. The problem is that level of unbelief won't just stay for a Monday morning. It will affect us. It affects every part of our lives. It spreads every area of our lives. And if left unchecked, it will destroy us. You know, God is much bigger and more unpredictable than we can imagine. We've talked about this some even on our Wednesday night studies. We talked about it even here on Sunday mornings that the things that Christ did, the things that God does throughout all Scripture, man, they are things that would blow your mind. Most of us, we read the stories, we know 
about the parting of the Red Sea. We know about Joshua making the sun stand still. We think of the story of Elijah getting fire coming down from heaven and consuming the sacrifice. We know all these stories. And yet we're going, hmm. We really believe that our God who does those things is the same God who works today. God can still do any of those things He wants to. He never told us He would stop doing those things. Now maybe He hasn't done them because He's got other things He's doing right now, but here's the deal. Let's be careful that we don't talk ourselves into limiting God and what He will do. I'm not saying we can defeat God's plans. But what we can do if we're not careful is miss out on what God has for us by not believing. We don't know all there is to know about God. He has given us a great deal of information in the Scriptures, but He hasn't told us everything. We need to make sure that we leave room for God to do something other than what we expect. You know, one of the great issues that the Pharisees are having here in Mark chapter 8 is that they have in their mind that they have God figured out. They knew the Old Testament. They knew everything that God had done. They had God figured out. This is what God is like. This is what He does. This is what He always does. He's predictable. We've got Him under our thumb. Now, they wouldn't have said that, but when we think we have God figured out, when we think that God won't ever do anything unexpected, when we think that God can never do anything other than what we've already experienced, what we're really saying is, I've got God right where I want Him. We never have God under our thumb. God always has the freedom to do really whatever He wants to do. As God's people, I would think we would want to be in a situation where we're ready and anticipating when He shows up and does something completely unexpected that we go, oh, that's Him. Let's jump on board. The disciples were still, after two years, having trouble believing who Jesus is because they had been taught false things. They thought they had God figured out. And when God was different than what they were expecting, they couldn't accept it. They couldn't bring themselves to grasp that. So Jesus is telling them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they're stuck on how much bread they have. (laughs) So he asked them that series of questions. And here's what the disciples had done. I mentioned that yeast, the leaven, doesn't stay just in one little spot. It just, boom, it fills up the whole loaf. It fills up everything. Well, what the disciples had done was they had begun trying to compartmentalize, if you will, to keep in one little section the things that Jesus, in fact, had done. We talked about this even last week with the feeding of the 4,000. How could the disciples have come to the feeding of the 4,000? They're in the wilderness. They don't have bread. All these people are out there. What are we going to do? And Jesus is going, do you remember a few months ago? (laughs) And we're thinking to ourselves, how could they have not realized that Jesus could do that again? How could they have seen Jesus feed 5,000 plus and not think he could feed 4,000? How could he walk on water and not think he could do the next miracle? How How could they not believe? Well, part of what's happening is this. They're taking the events that Jesus is doing, whether it's a healing or a miracle or whatever it might be, And they're going, well, okay, Jesus fed 5,000, but he did it in this location, in that area, with those people. So he won't do it over here, because that's different. Now, to you and me, that might seem a little bit silly, but that's what they were doing. 
Well, Jesus healed that blind person over there, or Jesus calmed that storm over here, but today's a different day, it's a different time, it's a different whatever. Well, and they weren't connecting the dots. They were seeing the signs, they were seeing the miracles, but they weren't piecing together that that meant Jesus had a certain identity. They were caught up in the individual circumstances of each individual moment and not in the actions or the pattern of the person that stands in front of them. Let me tell you what was going on in Sicily. They are so caught up in the circumstances and in the miracles themselves that they're missing the God behind it. And what Jesus is essentially telling them is this. Stop worrying about bread. Stop worrying about the next miracle. Stop worrying about this discussion or that discussion. How are you going to respond to me? Because the center of the story is not the healing of a lame man. The center of the story is not hungry people getting fed. The center of the story is God, who spoke the world into existence, showing up in human form. That's the story. And it's the same story we have this morning. Now, we would like to see miracles. We would like to see spectacular things, and maybe God will do those things. But in the end, the miracles aren't the point. The feeding is not the point. The point is, that's God in front of us. And what are we going to do with that? Belief. Faith in the one who stands before us. The Pharisees, in some regards, you you could say were (laughs) Bible-believing. And to use a modern, they were, they were Bible believers. But they had become legalists. They had become traditionalists. And they were no longer open to what God may do. They were trusting, a, they, were, they, were, they were trusting stuff and not trusting the God behind the stuff. Stuff is a very theological word, by the way. Mm. So this is, this is the leaven. This is what Jesus is warning them about. By the way, just, just a little side note here. They're worried about bread. Now we know that Jesus has said on more than one occasion that he will meet all our needs, right? Whether it be bread or shelter, Jesus has said on more than one occasion, trust me, I, I will take care of your needs. I do think the one thing we get caught up into, especially in our society today, is that we're not really content with God satisfying our needs. We want God to satisfy our wants. God has said to us, I will give you what you need. I will provide the bread. I will provide your shelter. I will give you what you need. And we're going, yeah, but what I would really like is this. And we're just not content with our needs anymore. We want other stuff. We want we want the spectacular. We want the big. We want the... I may have mentioned this before. Several years ago, I had a, a young man in our youth group. He was, he was coming. He was a very talented... Musically, he was a very talented young man. And uh, he, he, would, he would come occasionally to our youth ministry. Not real regular, but I was, I was talking with him one day. He, would, he had started coming to a Bible study that we were doing with a couple of teenage guys. And, and again, he very talented. One of the most talented guys I've seen in a long time. And his ambition was to be famous and be a rock musician, be playing in front of 50,000 people and have all the wealth at his fingertips. That was his dream. And he was probably at the time 
just, I mean, he was only 18, 19 years old, and he was kind of frustrated it hadn't happened already. <laughs> Why doesn't God make me a famous musician and give me all this money? And he was, I mean, he would be angry. I just asked him, I said, I'll tell you what, tell me. Let's say that happened. Let's say that tomorrow you hit it big. And let's say that a year from now, you're playing in a stadium with 50,000 people in it. And you've got more money than you could ever possibly imagine. What would you be like? I don't know. I said, I want you to be honest with me. Would you be closer to God then or farther away? Be honest. He said, well, I'd probably be further away. Then why would God give you something that would drive you farther away from him? I said, the most loving thing God's done for you is not give you that. He went, I still want it. Well, I get it. But God's telling us to be content with what he provides our needs. Be content with him. So how do I fight? How do I guard against the leaven, the yeast, the unbelief of the Pharisees, the false teaching of the Pharisees, and the, the plaything attitude of Herod? How do I fight against those things? Well, in the same way that if left unchecked, yeast will just go on. And I, I guess one other, one other image I had in my mind was you know, we're about to garden season here, right? We're about to that time of year to plant gardens and see things grow. What happens if you plant a garden and ignore it? What happens? What takes over that garden? Weeds. So if left unchecked, not the good stuff, but the weeds are what grow, right? What do you have to do to get the stuff you want to grow? Well, you got to pay attention to it, don't you? You have to constantly be doing what? Getting rid of weeds. So how do we avoid and guard against the leaven of the Pharisees? Here's how you do it. You pay attention. You pay attention, first of all, to the Word. We, look at, we take everything and we compare it and understand it through, first of all, the truth of the Word of God. And I mean from, I mean from, from, from math class students, from, from math class and science class, to the company policies where you work, to those of you who watch TED Talks, whatever it might be, you take everything and you compare it and understand it in light of the truth of the Word of God. Not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Every aspect of your life, everything you come across, from company policies to politics, has to be understood in the light of the Word of God. I have to pay attention to that. Secondly, don't separate Sunday from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's all one big thing. God created all seven days, by the way, <laughs> not just on Sunday. So pay attention to the Word, everything understood in light of the Word. Don't separate Sunday from Monday. And finally, seek to fan into flame. That is to stoke your faith and stoke its practice. Look for chances to do the things of the Word. Look for opportunities to do the things that Jesus spoke of. I mentioned praying for your enemies. Look for someone who doesn't like you so you can pray for them. Now, if you're like me, you don't have to look real hard. So find someone that doesn't like you and pray for them. God, so-and-so detests me. 
I don't know why. I'm a lovable guy, but they don't like me. So God, change my heart, change their hearts. Lord, make us best friends. Have you prayed that one? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I talked to myself there too. <laughs> pray, pray that one. And don't just pray it on Sunday morning when the pastor tells you to. Pray it on Monday morning, pray it on Tuesday morning, pray it on Wednesday, and so forth. Put those things into practice. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Well, what does that look like? It means that I'm looking for opportunities to have gospel conversations. I'm looking for the opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus Christ. doesn't mean I'm going to get into a full-blown discussion about Genesis to Revelation on, a Sunday, on, on, on some Monday afternoon at Walmart, but what it does mean is I'm looking for the opportunity to talk to people about Christ, about the gospel on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm looking for those opportunities. I'm praying Monday morning, today, Lord, would you give me an opportunity, would my eyes and ears be open to an opportunity to talk to someone about who you are, even if it's just a quick testimony about what you've done in my life this week. So whatever it might be, that's just a couple of examples. Whatever it might be, the solution to the yeast issue, the leaven issue, is to be fanning into flame, just stoking the good stuff while weeding out the bad stuff. Jesus says to the disciples, don't you understand? Haven't you got this? Haven't you figured it out? Everything you've seen, you've let the leaven take over and you've let the miracles die out. It ought to be the other way around. That's what he's telling the disciples. And by the way, this is leading up to a very spectacular conclusion here in just a couple of verses. This morning, though, the question is for us. Have we allowed ourselves to become infected, if you will, with unbelief? Have we compartmentalized, have we separated our Sunday morning life from the rest of our life? Have we kept our faith at a distance, like a little plaything. Have we uh, not taken God's word seriously? That's the leaven of the Pharisees. So this morning, what have you done with that? Is your life maybe even unintentionally becoming full of unbelief in practice? Or are you stoking into flame the gift that God has given you?